Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? This week I'm just back from Dragon Meat and my good friend Baz has collapsed from exhaustion. He had far too much fun there and he's probably crying on the results of a seminar that we had. But don't worry because one of the guys I met down there is a good friend of the show and he's back again to help me co-host this week. It's Mr Ian McAllister of The Giant Brain and the Brainwaves Podcast. How are you doing? I'm very well. How's you guys? Yeah, I'm living the dream. I'm missing my old mate Baz but never mind. You're almost as pretty. Oh yeah, no, yeah, I'm definitely younger. <laughs> That's true. I've traded him in for a younger model. He'll, he'll rue the day he come back on this podcast. Anyway, we were both the dragon meat this uh, this weekend. What did, what did you make of it? How was your dragon meat? Uh, it was good. Uh, I thought it was going to be a little disorganised in the run up to it because there was a bit of sort of like lack of information what was going on. But it seemed really good on the day. Um, made a made around a good few sort of small board game and card game folks that I've been mean to see for a while. Uh, bought a couple of things and then. Drank some beers, played some games. Generally good. Good fun. Yeah, it seems, seems to be the same every year, doesn't it? There's not like a massive amount of marketing up front, I would say. Yeah. I don't think games are going to charge me too strongly on that. But then it seems to get more people every year, I think. Yeah, it's definitely busier this year. Yeah, over 2,000, I think you said this time around, mm. uh, for sure. And that was before the, the convention ended. So it's definitely going from strength to strength, which is good. And I think there may even be plans next year to have an additional floor of the hotel to make it a little bit easier. So we'll see how all that works out. Cool. That'd be good. But yeah, it was, it was good to have uh, games on demand there. I know Baz managed to get his, uh, his young lad, Danny, in onto a, a couple of games. One for an actual player podcast, so I'll listen out for that. Oh, cool. Uh, and I even did a little interview with Danny as well in the bar at some point, but it was super noisy. So sure, we'll, we'll have to wait and see whether that came out. I chatted to some other guys in the bar, and I should have learned from last year because we did that then ourselves. <laughs> yeah. uh, the audio quality was not good. I mean, nothing to do with the beer we were drinking. It was definitely sure. the, the noise in the bar that was the problem. I say, I meant to get around to teaching Danny Keyforge as well, and I didn't because I was teaching it to other people already. Yeah, well, as long as you were teaching people, that's the main thing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The first one's free. Do you know what? I've got a bit of game envy as well. I don't know whether you picked anything up or not, but I looked at um, Forbidden Lands, the sort of hex mm. crawler from Free Ligon, uh, and I managed to resist it, and then I've instantly had regret. And- it was very pretty. Yeah, he started posting like pictures of it and samples of text and things like that. And I think, oh, no, I want it, but I can't yet because it's not out in public sale on the internet, which I'm quite upset about. It, it's one of the things I, I looked at a couple of things I thought about picking up. Like, again, I thought about picking up Spire and I thought about picking up their new thing, Voyage of the Golden Seas or whatever it's called, the big oh, map yeah, thing yeah, they've the got map, yeah. with a sort of like legacy style kind of thing where you put stuff on the map. But it's yeah. I don't want to pick up games that I'm not going to play. I'm trying. I'm trying to be really frugal in that way. I want to, if I'm going to pick up something, I want to then play it within the, like the next sort of few months, not like four years from now when I finally remember that it's on the shelf and that it's got some spiders nesting in it. I'd rather play things and get them reviewed or or talk about them a bit and give them a bit of publicity while they're still still a, a sort of thing. Still relevant. <laughs> still relevant. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. You see, I'm giving up on the board games a bit. Uh, because of that sort of thing, I don't really play a lot of board games. So I was buying them all, and then a lot of stuff in shrink wrap. So I've started instead buying role playing games to put on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> At least I feel like I can read them a little bit and have some lonely fun. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair enough. Yeah, there's there's at least something to be done with them there. There, but yeah, yeah, you just buy. A, like I don't solo board game a lot. I mean, it's a big thing in board games just now. There's sort of solo modes of board games, and you see it as a lot as Kickstarter stretch goals. Uh, it's just not something I really engage with. So yeah, I'm I'm always buying for the group I play with. So I always mm. have to consider that as well, and like the space I have on my shelves, and like how does this fit in my collection, all that kind of stuff. 
So yeah, but I've just been trying to get rid of a lot of stuff this year and not try to buy too much. Like, go a bit deeper on the games I've already got, play them a bit more. And it seems yeah. to work out quite well. Some people are kind of doing a one-in-one-out where they have to eat their yeah. stuff off before they allow themselves to buy something new, which I think is reasonable. Yeah, I'm definitely in that kind of camp. I mean, I've, I've been playing a lot of Keyforge. Keyforge is great. And my uh, my review just went up on the site today. That is the 4th of December. Um, so yeah, it's really good. You should play Keyforge, play Keyforge. Also, go and read my review because it's great. I write good words. You're definitely not sucking me into playing Keyforge. <laughs> I've managed to get out of Netrunner. There's no way I'm getting back in now. I've got another year of Masters today. It's it's less than £10 for a deck. Mm, <laughs> you only need it's... one. Honest. But now I've got three. Mm. If it's still going strong in 2020, I'll be back. Very, <laughs> very busy enough this next year. So it's time for our special guest. We've got Mr. B. Dave Walters on, who's all over Twitter. He does a bunch of streaming of, of numerous things. He's written in D Comics. Uh, he's a DM. He's coming over to play in a castle. Uh, he was a very talkative chap, wasn't he? He was indeed, yeah. Very very talkative guy. Very nice guy as well, yeah. Very, very enthusiastic about the hobby and being able to basically stream games for a living because, God damn it, we don't want to do that, really. We had the chance. Apparently now you can live the dream. Who thought it? Yeah. If your dream was randomly appearing in front of large numbers of people playing Dungeons & Dragons or a vampire or whatever. He's star of Ask Your Black Greek Friend, LA by Night most recently, which is just coming back for another season. All kinds of streaming stuff. Um, his CV is too long and, uh, well, frankly, just too long to list in, in total. We'll be here for an hour going through it all. It's embarrassingly long. Yeah, I'll put some links in the show notes. Uh, and it was great to have him on, great to chat to you. He seemed the sort of person who we could uh, quite happily sit down with a pint and, and chat all evening too. But we only got an hour. Here's Dave and what he had to say. The Smart Party are raising funds to help with the running costs of the show. We use Patreon, which is kind of like a modern magic item that turns you into a connoisseur of all that is good in gaming. To show your support, just head over to patreon.com slash thesmartparty. You can donate a dollar, a credit, a copper piece, or a fiver per month. It all goes into the portable whole of web hosting costs and helps us look after you every month with new Smart Party content. Patreons get a big thanks from us, some backer-only goodies as and when, and the warm, confident glow of the just and righteous to help you sleep at night. Join the Smart Party at patreon.com today and tell all your friends tomorrow. Cheers! So here we are again, listeners, and here's the man himself, Mr. B. Dave Walters. How are you doing there, Dave? Yeah, I'm just going to put some pants on before we start recording, so just let me know before we do. Ooh, ooh. oh, hello. Hi. Hey. Pants are unnecessary. (laughs) 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 We're a personal podcast. Now I feel right at home. (laughs) And how are you doing over there, Ian, as well, up in Scotland? Oh, not too bad. It's getting colder, Uh, but, you know, um, pants are necessary up here because it's getting really goddamn cold. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very cold. So we have a special you know, guest I, again, once again, eager to go, as you can tell. I guess the first thing I want to ask you about, your sort of screen presence, if I can call it that. Uh, I suppose people know you best most recently for the LA By Night vampire show. So how did all that come about? How did you get involved? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm lucky to have two things going simultaneously. Three, actually. I have uh, LA By Night, where I play uh, Victor Temple, Undisputed Baron of the Valley. Undisputed <laughs> Baron of the Valley. Uh, I play Chato on We're Alive Frontier, which uh, new episodes are today, every Tuesday on uh, uh, Project Alpha. Also am co-hosting season two of Ask Your Black Geek Friend, also on um, it's You know, it's interesting. If, if you follow me on Twitter, and you should, uh, at B. Dave Walters, shameless plug, 
Uh, one of the things I'm always, I also, you can't see me, people of the interwebs, but I tried to bust out hard hands, but I'm holding the <laughs> mic with one hand, so I got a one-handed hard hand. It's like uh, broken heart. It is. It's like it's the international friend zone symbol, like the thumbs up and the in the hard hand. Yeah, I, I told this story just just this week, actually, last October. Actually, this is how small the world is. I know you thought I was going to give a simple answer. Nah, jokes on you. I don't give simple answers, Gary. <laughs> I was going things one at a time, but you just dumping everything right up. No, no. Let's 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 just get into it. Let's just get into it. We're at that stage in our relationship. We we can be honest with each other. Okay. Uh, Tell me how it is. Last October, there was an episode of Gather Your Goth at Geek and Sundry. The, uh, that was, it was a goth-themed episode of Gather Your Party. And I went into the studio, and that night I met uh, Satine Phoenix in person for the first time. I knew her from around the studio, but we hadn't really interacted. Sure. And uh, I also met uh, Alex that night for the first time, although we got to interact almost not at all. You know, just walk around shaking hands, like, hey, man, how you doing? How you doing? Type thing. And uh, right around that time, Satine had a new... D&D supplement coming out that she'd been working on. I think it was Xanathar's Lost Notes to Everything Else. Don't misquote me, but she had a book that was dropping. And, uh, you know, we were talking, and I mentioned that we were going to be broadcasting on Ask Your Black Geek Friend, uh, I want to say maybe it was the next day, or the next week, and I was like, I'll give your book a plug. And she's like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, sure, don't worry about it. So, we went on, we were talking. Sure enough, I was like, hey, my, my friend has a new book out, go and DMs Gill, buy her supplement, you know, it's wonderful, gave it the whole raw, raw dog and pony show. And I clipped that from Twitch and I sent it to her. And she was like, wow, thanks, I appreciate it so much. And I was like, no problem, let me know if there's anything else I can do to help. And a couple of weeks after that, uh, she hit me back and she was like, actually, I'm doing this this charity event in December that I do every year. Uh, I wonder if you'd like to participate. And I was like, yeah, of course, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we kind of went back and forth. And what she was asking me to do was to play a game of Vampire. So at the time, I had not streamed online. I've been playing since I was 13, but I'd not done any, any um, I guess, what, pro gaming is what we call it, I guess. She had me on, and I was on the stream with Jason. And we did a Vampire one-shot for Chair D20. Uh, last December, which you should watch because it was objectively awesome. Uh, it was <laughs> me, uh, Amy Dolan, Kelly D'Angelo, Eric Campbell. I'm having to think of all of their like, you know, real world names and not the things we call each other. Uh, Aliza Pearl, Heidi Cox. And um, I met Jason there doing that uh i went all in it was the first time i played on stream it was the first time i played a gangrel ever because i never played gangrel but uh i did the the costume and makeup and the whole nine and really tried to just go in on it and uh jason and i hit it off and we kind of kept in touch and uh as vampire kind of started to manifest out of the ether i was uh on the short list because of that and some of the things i'd done in the interim so the moral of that story because it was longer than it was but it has a moral is <laughs> it all honestly was an unbroken line for me trying to do satine a solid to just help however i could to help with the charity thing to help jason with vampire v5 to getting to do the show so it's pay it forward right you help someone and all good things come back to you it all comes back around man and this world in the whole world is small uh, this gaming world, I've realized, is incredibly small. Like, the entire streaming community could fit in a restaurant 
you know, I, I was going to name a restaurant, but it might make no sense for people that are listening all over the world. Like, I didn't want to be like, it'll fit in a red lobster. You're like, why would you do that to a lobster? Yeah. <laughs> but it's a New Zealand one together. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Right. But yeah, it's, it's, it's on the low end about 35 people and on the high end about 150 and everybody knows everybody. So yeah, it, it's just a matter of making connections and, and being cool with people more than anything, because if you're not cool, everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's like in a small English village. If, you, if you're the bad guy, like soon enough, like within hours, everybody in the village knows it. And you, it's you feel exactly it. <laughs> like that. Yes, yeah. it is exactly like that. As you're walking down the street and just suspicious eyes turn and look out yeah, the window. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, a single so, tumbleweed roasted by a stray dog. <laughs> we'll let you pet it. So you described there the charity event where you went all in. Now, mm-hmm. one of the things I noticed from the uh, LA by Night series is that it seems to, well, to my eyes anyway, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems to run at a more um, calm pace. There's lots of space for, like, you know, words to land and for people to think about what's just been said and that kind of stuff. So it seems a little bit more sedate. So what is that is that a conscious decision or is just that just how the series is coming out by playing naturally? Uh, do you mean with how I play Victor in particular or all four of us? I think all four of you have a little space, but if you've got insights into your particular character, then that'd be good to hear too. Like even Jason, when he's describing stuff, is quite languorous in the way he describes it. And, you know, nothing's ever rushed out or here's the action, come on, do something right now. It's a lot more like, think about this and this is, this is how things are landing. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a few things. It's, I think we, almost all of us have been playing vampire for a very long time. Um, the only one who hasn't is Erica. And so we very much leaned into, we go out of our way not to tell her things. Like I've been playing vampire for all 25 years. Sin and Alex are are much younger than I am, but they've been playing for a very long time. Uh, and so they, we made a conscious decision. Like we'd have whole email threads of don't tell Erica X, Y, and Z. So a lot of times when Annabelle is like, wait, what? Like that is literally the first time Erica is hearing those things, not just her character, her, but the, the, uh, the rest of us know that vampire is a relatively laid back game. It's a relatively subtle game. And so it's not, you know, a game of vampire is not a game of werewolf. And if a casual viewer watching you play can't tell the difference, then somebody's doing something wrong. And I think so you take that awareness and you filter it through Jason, who is, shall we say, a pretty laid back and chill guy. (laughs) I mean, that's him. He's not performing. Like, you've talked to him (laughs) anyway. He is that person. Okay. Yeah. So when, when he's the one who's sort of dictating the world and bringing you in and setting the tone... All the way from you know when he gives his intro to the relatively laid back intro music that that's intense and dope. Um, by the time you actually get in, it, it's nearly impossible to be like, uh, 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 you know, like, oh, uh, uh, I shoot him, you know, like it's not it doesn't feel that way. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think it's probably what I'm getting is round the table. If I'm, I mean, I prefer more pacing games anyway. If I can, like, if you gave me an option between let's have lots of time to just think about what's going on or let's have some action and, and hit it, then I'm probably more 
you know, foot on the pedal kind of guy and tries to get more stuff in. So I think what I was trying to work out is whether it's because you're streaming that you're conscious that people need time to absorb what's happening or whether it's just the style of the game or I'm thinking, it, like, when I've run Vampire or played it, I tend to go, no, there'll, be, there'll be light and shade, right? So it's not constant action. But when things happen, there will be intense periods where there's a lot of stuff all going at once and, and people start talking over each other a little bit and that kind of thing. And I think even the action sequences, I guess, if you've got an audience, do you have to think a little bit more about someone's consuming this that we're saying and we need to pace it correctly? 100%. 100%. Well, you always have to be mindful of crosstalk. That's the hardest thing in streaming, especially when you get excited. Uh, It's very easy to trip all over each other, Um, especially when everybody's trying to like react simultaneously like uh it, we're alive when we're alive we had the the benefit of an edit but that game is so incredibly lethal and so incredibly dangerous and we all know that basically death is imminent literally at any time that there was times when ivan would be like so you hear something i shoot it no i shoot it and he's like wait you hear something <laughs> And then you see a pair of eyes, and I'm like, I tackle her to the ground, so I can't bite her, you know, because we were so like, ah, ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but but I think that the, the main difference between a streaming game and a home game, honestly, is I very much believe the tabletop RPGs and things like this, like the the fraternization and the spending time with people, is the the point. Um, yeah. I, I think you know talking about how work was or netflix or did you see the captain marvel trailer or inserting the odd that's what she said joke and everybody kind of cracks up is why you do it but when you're streaming you have to pull everything extraneous out of it like i mean you might allow yourself like one that's what she said because the problem is even though you might really think that's funny and it may even be funny when you then try and continue with the story, you've lost chat. You've lost the audience. Like mm. they're going to spend the next 20 minutes laughing and, you know, posting cat memes and things. So, <laughs> you know, you have to keep things very compact, not just for the time, but to make sure you're communicating like the tone and the experience that you want with the audience. So that is why it is relatively lean and free from distractions and the fact that we kind of give each other enough space to have our moments is really just we all been doing this a long time except believe it or not uh alex this is alex's first stream ever right okay is is, is vampire sure. yeah but he's just a magnificent actor especially especially because he can do so much non-verbal stuff even when he's not talking he's communicating so much yeah, yeah, and it's quite, I mean, for Nosferatu, it's quite subtle makeup, but it makes all the difference just having that bit of slightly creepy makeup on. Just like you say, the odd look or a bit of a glance can really communicate some something to the audience and everybody else in the studio, I guess, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, it's, it's amazing when, when we're there at the table with each other because obviously you're trying to take things in and it's impossible by definition to see what, what, four other people are doing at any given time so but uh, i find uh a lot of times my eyes just drift over to alex just to see what he's doing (laughs) and when i watch i because everything every stream that we're on i watch twice i watch for just the performance and then i watch to read chat because i do read 
every single message and every chat, every discord, I read them all, um, for every show I'm on. And, um, it's, it is just really captivating and hypnotic to watch a lot of the small things and just the small looks that people give each other, which, which is interesting because on vampire in particular, we're really trying to push the envelope of what these kind of shows are in cinematography and having the side-by-sides and the zooms in and zooms outs and camera switches. But, I also see the value, like in our episode when Satine was on, and Satine and Erica were having their infamous hand sex while uh, while Ash and I were trying to talk. And even as Ash and I are looking right at each other and talking to each other, we said afterwards, we all knew in our heads, we're like, no one's listening. No one's listening. <laughs> like, we, 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 we could give away spoilers for the next six seasons during this exact moment, and no one anywhere will hear us. Yeah. <laughs> You mentioned sort of camera angles and that kind of thing there. What sort of size of team goes on sort of behind the scenes of a stream like you do? It varies. It varies. Uh, Geek and Sundry in particular has kind of a team of assassins. So not as many as you would think. Uh, maybe maybe five? I mean, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to give away too much of the magic behind the curtain, but it's... Uh, <laughs> But it's nice, though, because, I mean, it is basically being like in a television production facility. Uh, I will say We're Live is far more, far more people. It's a much more elaborate production because it's a a far more uh, intense. We shoot that whole season in four days, like uh, back to back to back to back, grind it out. And uh, we look all haggard and half dead near the end because we really feel that way. Yeah, that's that's, (laughs) that's quite a schedule. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, lo- logistically assembling that many people week after week would be hard. But in such a yeah. press time, it, it, we could do that. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I'm going to say five to six, and and then I'm I'm not going to say anymore, lest I say the wrong thing. <laughs> you know, just like like a green dart is going to hit me in the neck right here. Like, is that, is that uh, because Geek and Sundry have secret robots that help them out with everything? Exactly. Yeah. I just I just figure like sex just feels disturbances in the forest when I say something I'm not supposed to say. <laughs> sure. <laughs> like, uh, right. There's a guy behind a ref looking at this form that says he's got twenty people on it, and you've just said there's five. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I'm I'm like I'm like five that I see, not counting the numerous I do not. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, the people they keep you isolated from. You don't need to see all the minions. It's true. It's true. It's true. Again, they pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. It's just good <laughs> advice. It's a life philosophy. Yes, it's a life <laughs> philosophy. Yeah, but it's uh, but it's great because uh, obviously I've, I've had the opportunity to, to stream uh, a lot of different places. Everywhere has their their own thing, and obviously, different people have more resources. I mean, I don't think that comes as a surprise to anybody. And it is nice to be able to just kind of come in put your dice down and not have to worry about anything. Like, it's like, mm. I'm here to be a vampire and go home. You know, <laughs> whereas there's other times, you know, we might have to help with the cameras, help with the setup, uh, you know, man the switch or whatever. So it's, um, it's nice. It's nice to be able to just be able to get into the, get into the zone and go. I'm just thinking from a point of view of like me and Baz, for example, who's, who's not here and will be ruining the day because I'm talking about him. But we used to talk about could there be such a thing as a TV show? Like, you know, there's late night poker games and stuff like that that, you know, 20 years ago we used to like watch or have on the background. We we always thought like, why can't you do a D, D&D show or something? But who would watch it? That possibly can't be, you know, it just wouldn't yeah. sell. Whereas now yeah. the advent of the internet, Twitch, you know, YouTube, all that kind of stuff, it now seems to be like 
you definitely can have D&D shows, and they're all really popular. Did you ever yeah, at any point... Mind blowing. Did you ever think at any point, like, that's what I want to do as a living? Like, this is how I'm going to make... This is how I'm going to pay the rent and buy food, or... Oh, absolutely not. No, 13-year-old me is overjoyed. Like, <laughs> if, if I could hop into the TARDIS, and I would just... I would be like, little bro, you're not going to believe this, but one day... <laughs> You're going to get paid to play vampire in D&D. And also you're going to write comic books. So uh, just sort of shine on your crazy diamond and hop back <laughs> in the TARDIS and leave, you know? Like, it, no, I, I, I mean, I'm a relatively tech-savvy guy and I'm a big um, big fan of social media. And like my, my background is marketing. That's what I've been doing for years. So I kind of, I kind of watched this happen real time and still didn't believe it. <laughs> like, like that's not a thing like i mean yeah I see you see, it, you, see but... you see pictures from like packs and plugs and stuff like that of auditoriums full of people watching D being played live on stage and that's right. just are, are you're looking at it going is this photoshop this this can't be a real thing right but it's totally real we we got to do it at gen con we did a yeah we did a D one shot which was basically the the final episode of theogony and kairos we did live at gen con and it's ridiculous, you know, like, like I'm doing things that are, you know, of course, designed to elicit an emotional reaction from the players. And I'm looking out in the audience and, you know, people are like literally biting their nails and like holding each other and stuff. And it's like, oh, word, you're paying attention. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, but I do think it's still very much the Wild West, though. I think it, I think the, the industry is very much in its infancy. And um we're testing a lot of assumptions. Uh, we're, we're we're testing a lot of assumptions of how long a show has to be. You know, I, I think people definitely would have said that, you know, nobody's going to sit down for a four-hour game. Critical Role comes along and says, hold my beer, yeah. you know? And then you're like, well, it has to be four hours. And then We're Alive comes along, and it's like, well, we're going to give you, like, a, a rip-to-the-bone one hour. And it's like, mm, oh, okay, you know, and it's, it's got to be live. Well, we're going to pre-produce it. And it's like, well, it's got to be this. Like, every time there's your declarative, you know, it has to be, boom, this. It's, uh, it's, one of, yeah, it's one of those interesting things we've got, like, with a lot of the sort of TV streaming and stuff like that now. It's like Netflix shows could be any length they wanted to be. And yep. I, I heard of a, I think it's a Swedish show, like, a, like it was a show set in a school or something like that. And every episode was just the length it needed to be. But it was completely yep. random. Like one episode was fifteen minutes, the next one was like an hour and a half because that was just the length yep. that particular story needed told in. So yeah, like you say, we're we're still experimenting so much with this age of sort of media consumption. That's it's really really yeah. interesting. Lots of fascinating things can be done with that. Well, you know, I, I think there's three main competing factors that that go into this. Um, I mean, obviously a hundred, but I mean, I'm going to say three <laughs> main ones. I think one, people have short attention spans which is something I personally am constantly railing against. Like I hate the too long didn't read culture. Uh, Cause I've got an English degree. I enjoy reading paradise Lost, you know? So I'm like, just, <laughs> just the, the fact that a thing is long, the fact that a thing has more than 280 characters doesn't mean it's invalid, you know? But, but I think the, the way we compensate for that is I think we know a lot of people are mom watching. We call it where they have a show on in the background. Sure. Where where they might not be sitting there like focused, like I'm looking at yeah. you rolling dice. Uh, they might be working. They might be like walking around the house. And then when you hear gasps and shrieks and things like they run over and, and look and pay closer attention, uh, you know, both TVs and movies. These are the other two things, you know, TVs were TV shows were the structure of television was built around 
airing commercials. That's why it's 43 minutes with a 5X structure was because you could time where you put in your commercial breaks. But now because of streaming and even cable, um, that's being altered. So that's become more malleable. And then movies, it was movies are keep getting shorter and shorter per capita because you can fit more screenings in over the course of the day and make the movie theater more profitable. Um, same with radio. That's why, like, you know, Metallica with those seven-minute songs, you don't get that anymore. Uh, that's why songs are two and a half minutes now, because the radio station can churn more of them out and play more songs and have more time to fit in the commercials. So it, with Twitch or with the streaming community, with the subscription-based community, or even YouTube where you're monetizing views, you're free of all of that. You know, and to your point, you can be like, today it's 15 minutes because reasons. And yeah. you know, <laughs> because yeah. we say so. Yes, because we say, you know, and if you don't like it, don't watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Or do watch it, hit click, but then don't watch it. <laughs> so we can yeah. Dude, just as long as we get to you, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, get our get our eighth of a cent for our click. Yeah. Yeah, like shows like Critical Role, like uh, like Shields of Tomorrow, they they've been like really instrumental in making those particular RPGs like Im- immensely popular. Like we we could easily track the sort of streaming of like D and D to the massive success of Fifth Edition. Are you hoping to get a sort of similar bump for the Vampire Show that you're involved in? Uh, we already have gotten it. Like we're. I'm running again, lest I get darted in the neck uh, from revealing <laughs> things I shouldn't say. Uh, the show, the show has been very successful. I'll say that. Right. It, it it vastly vastly exceeded all of our expectations. So it's um and but I mean I I I like that I appreciate that though because well like I mentioned a second ago in the first stream I played a gangrel, which again gangrels aren't my jam but I had an opportunity and I took it. Uh, and I had a good time. I really enjoyed playing Stu the Gangrel. And again, if anybody has not seen that one shot, it is really good. We had a lot of fun. And I'm hoping some of that stuff comes up in Vampire. Jason and I have talked about it. Even though that was a, a Camarilla coterie, I'm hoping some of the situations, you know, will at least get nods to those. But uh, when this show was coming along, uh, everybody's like, well, what do you want to play? Are you going to play a gangrel again? And I was like, well, no, because my my heart is Ventru. That's what I've always played. That's what I've always loved. And that's what I want to do. Because I know in the back of my mind, if we're reintroducing this game to a new generation and we're going to be the ones that are showing people this is what this is, I'm like, I want to be the face of Clan Ventru. Because... If I didn't, I knew if I didn't, if I just said, okay, I'll play Gangrel or whatever. In the back of my mind, people would have been like, oh, you're so cool. We love your character. And I would have been like, mm, but I want to be a Ventry man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, Somebody else could be doing it, but not as good as you as well. That's the thing. <laughs> exactly. Which, this, so again, I know the viewers can't see me. They can only hear me. But I've got my Ventru dice box for a vampire. I have it right here next to me. Very nice. I was the first person to get the new logo. Uh, I got this dice box months early and they were like, don't put it on social media because it's a secret. And again, 13 year old me, I was like, if you told me that I was going to be the first venture anywhere to have anything. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Actually, I guess it would have been, I was, I was around 18 when I started vampires, a little older, but uh, it's, it's, I, I think the most beautiful thing to be playing in this stream in particular and similarly to be writing the comic book for Wizards of the Coast is to not just be able to participate and play in these worlds, but to be able to affect them. 
you know, the, these places that I've spent hundreds, possibly thousands of hours of, of daydreaming about and, and playing in and enjoying and gallivanting to actually be able to leave a mark on is the craziest thing in the world to me to actually be able to affect continuity of these worlds is just insane to me mind-blowing yeah absolutely yeah we've mentioned um D and critical role a couple of times there and i think that's critical role has become one of those things now that um like my friends that are in, in school and teach and we speak to the teachers about what they got up to a weekend which might be playing at a games convention or something there's always that um, fear with normal people about how we describe it and whether if you say role-playing, whether they think you've been in a kinky sex dungeon or something and whether you know, <laughs> how much geek to let out. Uh, one of them was sort of dancing around D&D to describe it. And, and the teacher friend said, do you mean like critical role? So they didn't know what D&D was as a game in terms of playing it, but they knew what critical role was because all the kids are talking about it and that's how they're all getting into D&D these days. Now, without yeah. taking anything away from uh, the great show that Vampire is, do you think part of the success of it now is because this is like a, a feedback loop from what happened in the 80s and 90s where D&D led into Vampire and other games. Do you think perhaps as a new generation they've been playing a lot of D&D and now streaming's branching out into other games things like Vampire and stuff are getting more popular or people have, have understood what this stream is in gaming and now they want different flavours of it. Like I said, I'm not trying to say that your show's not sure. only popular because of that but do you think that's a factor that has come into it? Yeah, and and I think you you hit on a very interesting point that it, there is um, an unquestionable feedback loop of D and D came along in the well, I guess technically D and D came along in the late seventies, but really sure. became a thing in the eighties, hmm. uh, and then by the mid nineties, you sort of had this pushback where Mark Ryan Hagen and White Wolf wanted to do something that wasn't elves and cheerfulness, that wanted to do something like gritty and down in the muck which I think people don't realize just how revolutionary that really was at the time the, the, to take the world of darkness to be like, no, nah, it's this world. It's where we live. It's just a little bit magical and deeply messed up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> like, like that, you know, that trope is so common now you're like, yeah, of course. And you're like, no, well, I mean, it, to a, to a similar extent, what D and D is, even though obviously it was very heavily influenced by Lord of the Rings and mythology and things like that. I mean, it, it's, I was just saying this yesterday um, because I was trying to describe what Shadowrun is like to someone that had no point of reference. And you're like, right. Shadowrun defines the genre. The use, you define other things as being like Shadowrun. <laughs> so when you don't have that, you're like, uh, it's like <laughs> the future, but there's like elves and goblins, but they're like hackers and stuff. Like it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's very difficult to describe. So I, I do think to have... D&D be the first real serious entrance into the streaming world makes sense because it was the first real entrance, serious entrance into the role-playing world. I mean, I know all over chat, people are like, um, actually, that is not true. Um, and like wanting to tell me some book that came out. I'm the first serious one. Um, to have it be the first main one to come through and then kind of open the way for Vampire and things like it to come afterwards. Um... I, I think it is, you know, not every, high fantasy is not everyone's taste, you know. Um, and I think having not just streams where you have groups that take on the subject matter in a different way, because there's a, a million and one play, ways to play D&D, but having different conceptual settings mm -hmm. that are different is good because you give 
both people an opportunity to appreciate different things. Like you can be a basketball fan and a football fan. Like that's okay. You're allowed, but, but there's some people uh, in, in, Hey, let the record show. I meant uh, your football. I meant soccer. See, look at that. I'm, I'm, I'm building bridges. I'm building bridges. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but there's other people that are only ever going to be hockey fans and that's okay too. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, I think that's why it is important to have these different kinds of games and different kinds of streams with different kinds of people um, playing them. Also, uh, I, I think your cast can't be uh, cookie cutter repeating just like your games can't be either. Yeah. That, that segues nicely to something I was going to talk about. Actually. I'm a consummate perhaps. professional Gary. That's, that's, that's what I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I tee them up for you to tee up for me yes i mean we've used scripts as the work of ryan cameron so we don't use those but you're just like a natural script writer right there yeah uh, myself and baz were at a convention this week and Dean as well actually but baz and i did a seminar which um had a sort of clickbait title of our old games just a hack of D or something along those lines to get people in and we did notice that looking around the room there was a lot of middle-aged white dudes which is just kind of par for the course to a certain extent because a lot of people are of a certain age where they've gone to D&D in the 80s and have played since or come back to it and that kind of stuff. Yep. So how important is it for, for your casting, for example, if you look at the cast of LA by Night, people of colour, different genders, that kind of stuff, uh, how yep. important is that, in, do you think, in terms of making the hobby more open to others or, or bringing people in, or do you think it's just, are you just four guys that are playing the game together, don't even think about that kind of thing? But, like, I mean, certainly the things that, that's, I think the hobby's moving more towards diverse groups of people of all ages and backgrounds and colors and ethnicities and yeah. everything. I think the hobby should represent society. Uh, society is a tapestry, so I think the people who are playing should be a tapestry. Again, I mean, you're you're right. Quite frankly, the nerdy white kids that were playing D&D in the 80s are like nerdy middle-aged white guys now. Um <laughs> But uh, I think it's 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 kind of believe it or not. I think the thing that has made D and D so acceptable now actually is not really critical role. Although obviously they they definitely struck a major blow. I think it was two things. I think it was the Lord of the Rings, and I think it was the Marvel superhero movies. Because um, we've really just seen. I mean, I guess Lord of the Rings goes back about twenty years now. I don't want to check the date of when. Uh, the first one came out because I'll weep bitter tears about how old I am. Yeah. I'm thinking about who I went to the movies with to see it. And I don't, <laughs> uh, you know, um, I, I think Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, the Marvel movies, because it allowed people who didn't think of themselves as quote unquote geeks to see these things and enjoy them mm. and be like, Oh, I like Legolas. I like Aragorn. Cool. Oh, it's a game where I can be Legolas and I can be Aragorn? Oh, okay, cool. Um, you know, the Marvel movies come along and Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man and he's cool. And suddenly, by extension, it becomes a little more okay to be a fan of Iron Man, to be a fan of the comic book, to read the books. And it's just like the the groundwater of what's okay starts to rise a little bit. You know, mm. and, and then people start playing games and you're like, well, I play video games all the time. And then now that's not the black mark that it just was, you know, and then suddenly, uh, oh, everybody likes Doctor Who. Yeah, sure. You know, and, and it no longer becomes a thing that you kind of have to kind of hide in your in your, you know, and you go in your darkened dungeon to your previous thing that you go down <laughs> into, your, <laughs> into your leather sex room and turn on the lights <laughs> and there's just like dice and books everywhere. Yeah. Um, 
So, so I think as just the general signal has been boosted, yeah, it has you know automatically reached a lot of different people. Um, because I mean, uh, but to be clear, you know, I think you know, girls and women were playing the entire time. People of color were playing the entire time, and so it, it's not that. I think we weren't there as such, but I think again, as it is just becoming more widely accepted than it is becoming more representative of what society looks like. And I, my, my whole thing with like the, the cast of LA by night was very intentional to, to be different, to be diverse. The characters I came up with my, my comic book with the Dungeons and Dragons, dark and wish I made them different on purpose. Uh, I made a, a female protagonist on purpose. I have a uh, non-binary elven twins. I have a, uh, you know, a kind of a Polynesian male, uh, you know, a dragonborn. Because to me, the reason why diversity and inclusion like that are important is because I think everybody needs an opportunity to see themselves reflected in the media, to yeah. see, you know, uh, a hero to aspire to or uh, a villain to to steer away from, um, to to see that person is is like me and I want to be like them or don't want to be like them. That's the power of storytelling. And even though I myself, you know, I can read a Superman story or a Batman story or a Wonder Woman story and be com- completely compelled and, and swept away and moved by that at the risk of hopping around too many fandoms. But I know people can stay with me. When I see Mace Windu, though, you know, <laughs> I'm like, hey, you know, <laughs> you know. So you know that being said, it, it, but it's interesting. This is this is a slightly controversial position I've got, especially since I spend so much time in the diversity community, in the inclusion community. I think, you know, I don't necessarily feel like you have a responsibility to hang out with or play with anybody other than your friends that you enjoy spending time with. But I think what, I think the burden that is on all of us though, is to not shun people because of yeah. who they are and how they are and to welcome people into the community and, and make people feel welcome. And, you know, if they post something on a message board or a question, don't flame them for their noob questions in, mm-hmm. in all of that. You know, I, I think just the, the, the hobby needs to be welcoming and inclusive, but I don't think there's some diversity bingo card where you're like, you know, we're, we're sitting down to play on Friday. You know, we have two cisgendered white males, so we need exactly one woman. Uh, we need a Muslim. We need a homeless, you know, an LGBTQ person. If, if we can get a LGBTQ Muslim you know, <laughs> foreigner, then it's uh we we win, you know. Like I don't think eh, it's not that. Nah, it's not that at all. <laughs> no, quite right. I think it is good. I think stuff like Harry Potter books and all kinds of things have, have enabled, uh, like you said, the just geek culture as a whole to to bubble up. I and mean, then it's good to say that I think even like the new edition of D and D embracing its artwork in terms of different ethnicities and that kind of stuff. And it just, I think across the board, people as a whole are getting more included in the kind of geek culture of D and D stuff. Yeah, you know, and and I. I, w- I want to say clearly, and it's kind of sad that I have to say this clearly, but I hear it come up sometime. You know, it's 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 super fine for middle aged white dudes to love D and D. Like, have at it, brother. Like, do your thing. You know, I'm, I'm like, but everybody gets to. That's all. Um, yeah, I, I have I have, I have, <laughs> I have a post um, 
on my Twitter. It's a thread that I, I had to pin to the top because it was uh, a couple months back. It was May, maybe. And some people were flaming Marisha for something she did on Critical Role uh, because there's a lot of diet sexism involved in how much criticism Marisha gets for her decisions versus, say, Taliesin gets for his. And I wrote this whole long thing about why we run into so much toxicity and gatekeeping in this community. And uh, it is because a lot of it is in the past. This was where the, the kids who didn't feel like the cool kids could go to hide. They could go and do this, you know, like, like I don't, I don't have to play football because I'm playing D and D. So meh, you know, but fast forward. And now the footballers are playing D and D and it's like, you know, you get this knee jerk reaction of like, well, where's my place now? You know, you've yeah, now invaded right, yeah. my space, you know, where do I go? And the answer is, uh, you stay here. Pull up a seat and get some dice out, basically. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah, it's, um, but I think it's, it's a good time to be a geek, man. It's like, this is the best. Yeah. I mean, personally, I feel like this is the best time in history to be alive. It's just a person, period. But it's definitely the best time to be a geek. Uh, Speaking as someone who's old enough to remember, you know, when there wasn't an internet, you know, yeah. I'm like, I'm like back, back in my day, television would end at night, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, to, to like the, the prevalence of gaming and streaming and geek culture and, and the fact that people are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to entertain us for two hours, you know, and, 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 the production value that is going into video games and the experiences that we can have there and the accessibility we can have with people all over the world that love what we love. That's fantastic. That's great. I couldn't agree more. Me and Baz always tell old war stories to the, to the young new gamers about how we mm-hmm. used to write little postcards to put in the post office window. So like, if you want to play in D&D, you ring this number and you know, someone would have to ring your house and help you ring at the time because you only had landlines or <laughs> cell phones or anything like that. <laughs> all, all, the, all the pages uh, in the back of Arcane and the like for looking for groups, etc. Magazines and stuff. You have to wait a month for someone to ring you. <laughs> oh, dude, trying to calculate Thacko. You know, it's like, it's like let me tell you about Ben Bar's Lift Gates. You want to know how hard life was? <laughs> yeah, I played a wizard. And I, a level one wizard had one d four hit points and a spell. That was rough. <laughs> You know, you know I, I, I ran some very old school D anD D from a group a couple of years back, and they, it was quite a shock to the system for them because they'd been much more used to modern systems. And yeah, yeah I think I, I think I t- uh, told party knockout happened within about the first twenty minutes or something like that. Well, yeah, because you're all like, "Hey, it's a bugbear. Let's jump it." Like, mm, you sure? Yeah, you, you're like, you got it's got you sure about that?" <laughs> right. Yeah. Also, you cast your one magic missile. That's real rough. Yeah, we've got uh, good friends of the show. They they call the Grognard Files. They're, they're a bunch of guys, sort of my sort of age, but they're kind of went into the deep freeze. They call it. So they they were into games, and they found out about girls and beer, and stopped doing all that. And then they've come back twenty years later. Now the kids have grown up a bit and, and started playing again. And so mm-hmm. they're all used to like D and D and Traveler and Call of Cthulhu from back in the day. So now when you show them a modern game, and they're like wow, I can actually succeed at stuff. And then it's like, the little eyes are wide open. It's like, this game's fun. <laughs> it's not, it's not like pain and suffering. Yeah, it's 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 weird. I talk about this, especially with like EverQuest a lot, because I was, you know, there day one when, when EverQuest started. And to a certain extent, D&D was the same way. There almost was an adversarial relationship with the players. 
you know it's like the game was actively trying to shake you off its back the entire time and you just had to like hold on for dear life you know yeah, yeah versus uh now yeah you're you're right there's um i kind of said this because uh, we we shot this feature ad about like what makes we're alive different with the outbreak undead system and all that and it's like in a game of D, you have now now you have a uh, an expectation of success like if you go fight the dragon you're probably going to beat the dragon you know the the chances of the entire party getting killed and staying dead are relatively slim of course it's possible especially if you do something stupid but probably all or at least the vast majority of you are coming home and the dragon is probably going to die you know uh, we're alive is not that at all like at all at all like there's still very much that extremely lethal like if we fight this zombie one of us gonna get get scratched or bitten and then we're a zombie and the rest of us are gonna kill that person and you kind of like walk around on tiptoes the entire time but it's it's interesting especially again with video games you you hear every once in a while people are like oh i want it to be hardcore again i want it to be so difficult like it was and people put out games that are hard like they used to be and they always bomb (laughs) yeah well, then again th- things like things like dark souls have been extremely successful because they're really hardcore games i mean i personally bounce off that kind of game but there have, there have been a couple of successes with people putting out really hardcore games but yeah for the most part you're right they've got modern computer games are a lot more forgiving than they used to be there's not that sort of thing of like insert coin to continue all that kind of stuff that used to be there used to be there yeah or you know struggling to reach a save point yeah, you, did, yeah. you didn't do more it ge- more generous save points is good <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, computers yeah. have memory now, so they, they don't have to have so many save points and have you redo everything. <laughs> that is true. That is true, and it's you don't have to pay a quarter incrementally. Yeah, that is also true. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things we skirted past then um, was the Dungeons Dragons comic book, and you've written yes. a new one. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Dungeons and Dragons: A Darkened Wish. It is available for pre-order now at your local comic shop or on Comicsology creation of myself and my artist tess fowler it has been absolutely ridiculous that one that i'm getting to do this at all which is insane and that i'm really getting to tell the story that i wanted to tell a lot of times i think a lot of D media has been kind of happy-go-lucky and sort of like slappy um not knocking any of that those are great stories uh this story is not that it is gritty and intense and like i'm i'm going more lord of the rings ish tone it's uh and you can see this even in the cover art the cover art's out in the wild now even though the first issue hasn't come out it's it's basically uh we meet a group of characters when they're adults uh where they've been together for decades fighting and they're and we see flashbacks to when they were young in how what they went through and what happened to them and how they came up to become the people that they are because basically we see them as as being young and everybody being happy and in loving life and then we see them as old as older on opposite sides of a war nice and the whole thing play out cool. yeah and is this set in forgotten realms have i got that right it is set in forgotten realms in in the moonshade isles I didn't know when I chose Moonshakes. The the reason why I did it was originally I wanted to do a completely homebrew story. And then I had to do it in the realms. And I still kind of wanted to like push and make something new because I didn't want to be beholden to 50 years of continuity. 
because I know the realms fairly well, but I mean, I by no means have an encyclopedic knowledge. And I just knew the moment that I was like, well, it's happening here on the map. You'd be like, um, excuse me, in 1986, there was a module where we know the dwarves of Iron Forge. You know, I'm like, ah, come on, man. So I was just looking for somewhere where I could just do something cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was how I settled on the Moonshay Isles. And I actually was a very long way into the project before I found out the very first Forgotten Realm story ever was set in the Moonshay Isles. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, it's neat. And I, I've, I've been lucky enough to, I have some insight into what's going to happen for next summer's event. Uh, like we had Stream of Many Eyes this year. I know what's happening next year. So I've been able to plant some seeds in the comic that by next summer, people are going to see what happens and be able to come back to the comic and be like, oh, oh, and I'll be like, yeah, yeah, that's what that was. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what that was. Yeah. yeah, people love the Easter eggs and foreshadowing and stuff like that, don't they? Yeah. 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 Especially uh, in issue two. I'm, 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 I'm being vague, but I, I, I was definitely able to have some shout outs to some of the very oldest Forgotten Realm stories and also have nods to what's coming in the future. And it was really neat to kind of be able to write at the crossroads like that, because basically what it is, is there's a, um, they're on a ship and there's travelers from all over the place. And I was able to pull some old characters and some new characters and have them all sort of be together and interact. And that was, that was really neat to be able to do. It's a cool piece of cover art. I'm looking at it right now. It's a very nice cover. It's all Tess, it's all Tess, man. Tess Valor. Is it the sort of thing that you might get involved in, like producing like supplements for or anything like that, uh, so people can play in those stories as well down the line? I mean, I sure as heck hope so. Um, uh, you know, the, 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 I mean, anymore, I'm, wizards just, listening. I'm like, I hope you're listening, wizards. I sure as heck hope so. Yeah. Um, well, we're we're going to be doing a streaming tie-in of some sort. I have to be a little vague about that. So we're we're gonna we're definitely gonna get some more time with these characters and situations in the streaming capacity, you know, knock on wood, fingers crossed, but I absolutely hope that we'll be able to do that. But although I do know for sure, I'm going to be working on a supplement here in this coming year because we have D and D in a castle uh, with my group, uh, the uncommon trust We're we're doing D and D in a castle with uh, yeah. See Gary. I know. I know. I was just coming up to that as well. It's literally off in my browser over here. (laughs) You know, you you know, it's uh, (laughs) seamless. Our, our synergy here. Yeah, Uncommon Trust, which is uh, Ash Minnick, Sam DeLev, uh, Poizel, Alquin Gersh, uh, D'Artagnan, Maltaliano, and myself. And we have our, our guest DMs, which are Eric Campbell, Kelly Lynn, and Mark Meir. And we also have internet sensation Amy Dolan and Rick Budd are going to be there also. And um, we've decided that the content that we are writing for the event, we are going to take and make a campaign world out of. So we are creating a new world for this event. That is then we're going to turn around and release to the world. Fantastic. Yeah. Should be. Well, you know, especially for me in particular, you know, I I did my show uh, Theogony of Kairos earlier this year, which was level zero characters that were transformed into level 20 characters. They were chosen by the gods uh, to basically become gods because I like the end game of D&D. And I've worked really hard to carve that niche for myself as the the in-game storyteller because most people just never make it that far because, you know, groups fall apart or whatever. And even if you come up the rough side of the mountain, by the time you get to level 20, um, 
know, even level 17, much less level 20, you've probably been playing for three or four years and you're just ready for a new character. So not a lot of time people get to experience that there. And that's why in a dark and wish I leaned very much into like, no, you need to see like how terrifying a wizard really is. Like when they can stop time and meteor shower you, like you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like I wanted to be able to like get that across um, to, to get across how, dangerous you know a high level warrior really is and 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 one of the things we have like the opening sequence again this isn't a spoiler because you see it is the opening sequence is our group of heroes in the comic i don't speak in terms of levels but you know when you know what you're looking for you can tell well like based on what they're doing you know you you see four of them defeat an entire army by themselves because they could you know like and i really enjoyed getting to show that because I find you don't really get to experience that very often in like the portrayals of, of fantasy media in general and D and D in particular. Yes. Lovely. There have been games in the past, like exalted or things like that, which particularly prey on that kind of thing where you're super powerful, but that's that sort of thing. Something that appeals to me, not just the superpower armor, but the, if you're living in this world, what's it like, you know, if there are level 17 wizards wandering about, well, what do they do with the time? Like, how do they affect things? Do they just wipe out yep. entire armies on a whim? Like, that should be the background to your game, whatever level you're playing at with your players, right? Should the, if you're living in this magical world with all these cool powers, then people will be doing stuff with those powers that will be affecting just general life, right? Yeah, you would think, you would think, yeah. I, I That's why, you know, I, I again, back to, I know I'm, I'm bouncing all between my projects, but there's through lines in all these things. For the most part, I... Is that I like the high end, but with the Agony of Kairos, the reason why I started them at level zero is I needed to paint the picture of the world that they found themselves in so that it mattered. Mm. Because if I started them at, I'm like, day one, minute one, you're level 20, there's the kid that was bullying you in high school. What do you do? You're like, I disintegrate him. You know, whereas when, when we take some time to be like, here's the bully, he is terrible. Oh, but you find out that like, he's got it bad himself. And oh, actually, he's got feelings and depth and matters. And now here's your powers. There's that same sniveling bully. Now what do you do? It put a different tone when you had to weigh the impact of things, sure. which, you know, to your yeah. point, I, I, I think... uh you need to be able to have that impact because to me, that's why people play these games. That's, that is the point behind tabletop RPGs to be able to play a character that can have a meaningful impact in the world they find themselves in. You might be good. You might be bad. You might be, uh, you know, high powered, low power, whatever, but you should feel like you can do something that matters because a lot of times in life, we don't get that. We don't get to feel like we can do something that matters. You know, you're like, oh, the corrupt politician is a drug lord. Sucks. You know, <laughs> you know, versus the five of us are going to go and roll him up, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, like that's in. And, and, and I think for, for storytellers, for my DMs who are listening, make sure that you're giving your players those opportunities, because the more that you railroad them and take away those opportunities to have an impact, the more you are robbing them of the reason why they're even sitting at the table in the first place. Cause they could be doing anything. They, they could be anywhere. Uh, they could be having beers. Although some of us are having beers while we're playing. 
but you know they they bellied up to the table to have a certain experience um and it is it is your job it is your sacred duty to allow them to have those experiences yeah yeah i think it's you, you sometimes get people uh, like on forums and stuff like that they're going oh my players don't care about what's happening how can i make them care about this thing and that's probably looking at it the wrong way around. What you want to be doing is saying, what is it you guys care about? Or what do you want our stories to be about? And then you provide the opportunities yeah. for that stuff to happen rather than going like, why want the players follow my story? It's like, why don't you find out what stories your players want to tell and then do something about that and enable it? That's, yep. that's the best way of doing it, right? Yeah, you, you yep. don't need to guess for your players. You can have a conversation with them and sort like of set up expectations. <laughs> yeah. yeah, indeed. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. One of the one uh, a, a, a tip I learned this year that helped me a lot um, with streaming that translates really well to a, the table. I will give you this from behind the scenes is you know when when you're when you're kind of playing at home, uh, obviously there's a lot less time pressure, but you still want it to be worth people's time. Um, and one thing that is very useful is for the DM to for everybody to talk before the session. And just be like, we're trying to accomplish roughly X, you know, by the end of this session, you should be at the castle, you know, by the end of this session, you know, the battle should have started like that kind of thing. You can still leave plenty of room to surprise and horrify or whatever, but you know, you're go East (laughs) this time, you know, um, in the players among themselves. Now this lends itself more to streaming, but it is still relevant to table games of just like, Hey, is there any particular moment that you want to have? You know, like, is, is there is there something you know you want to get out of, you know you want to do? Let me know so I can make sure I try and set that up for you, or at least I don't actively inhibit that. You know, like, like yeah. if, if you're if you're just dying to have a shopping scene and I'm adamant about leaving town now, you know, <laughs> like, it's yeah. needless friction. Whereas you're like, no, I kind of got a thing I'm going to do when we shop and it's, uh, I need this. Like, oh, okay, great then let's make sure we have that, you know. Um, it, it makes everything flow a lot more effectively, and it stops you from wasting a lot of time spinning your wheels. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure there were a couple of indie games that baked something like that into their systems. Like at the end of each session, you basically said to the GM, okay, next time I'd like this scene or that kind of thing, and they could sort of like prep for that kind of thing. I, I can't remember the games, so I'm sure well, I've seen it. Set me up nicely, and you're doing it now as well. This is brilliant. Love this energy, yeah, guys. Good work. Yeah. A good friend of ours <laughs> called Neil Gow does... Um... A game called Juicy Honor and Beta Quarters, which is kind of the Polarite time. So it's kind of like Sharp or Hornblower and that kind of stuff. Uh, and uh, what you do is come up with personal missions you might want to do. So at some point you say, well, before you start the game, you say, I, I want to have a duel with a French officer at some point. You don't know that's when that's going to be or how it's going to come about, but you set all these things out. So all the players chucking ideas about scenes they want to sort of come up during the game. And then during right. the game, those things like you work as a table to try to fit them in. Like you're all working towards a goal going, well, we definitely need to duel a French officer at some point. So we need to set that scene up, you know. And this right. as a gem, then you've got the players involved in trying to make these things happen to support each other. So... Uh, hopefully we'll yeah. get on with the second edition of that, Neil, when you're listening. Yeah, uh, and let me know. I'll signal boost it when you do. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, I, I think people really need to understand the extent to which it's a collaborative medium. Sure. And the, the extent to which you're supposed to help the DM tell the story. It is not just they're the cook that lays out this spread that you show up and eat and leave. You know, like, I mean, you you should have some input into the meal prep and then eat the food and then also help with the cleanup, you know, so that everyone has had an enjoyable experience. Yeah, exactly. I think we're all on board with that. 
Yeah, so, because I, I think you you do um, another thread I wrote because I, I wrote one long thread about what is to be a good DM and another what it means to be a good player. You know, hit me on Twitter at B Dave Walters if uh, if you can't find it, and I'll, I'll send you a link to it. Because again, you should be following me because I'm kind of dope. Uh, <laughs> uh, you work in marketing, you say? <laughs> yeah, you know, who knows? Got to stay on brand. Got to stay on brand. Yes. Uh, but, you know, you do run into some people who are power trippers because, again, like I said, a lot of times you don't get to feel powerful in life. And when you're in the dungeon master's chair, you're by definition God. And so it's easy to, that, to for the wrong person to let that go to their heads and be like, ah, yeah. it rains and storms and your sword breaks and your armor breaks and, ah, ha, 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 and you're surrounded and... I think you lose track of the fact that the players can be like, well, then I don't care. You know, I'm going to go play Red Dead Redemption because F you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, 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 and to be clear, that doesn't mean that you can't push your players. I mean, you, not even that you can push them hard. It's just, it shouldn't be torture porn. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Because <laughs> when you're looking at them first and foremost is just suffer puppets, as my friend Kai calls it. You know, that's not fun. You know, it's good like, to phrase. Yeah, oh, I love it. Yeah, that's it, uh, Kai Norman. That's I got that from him. I, I mean, me personally, what I do is I, when I'm devising an encounter or a situation, I think of at least one solution first. I mean, it never fails. The characters or your players are almost certainly going to think of something you didn't because that's the nature of humanity and they've got you outnumbered. But I'm like, no, you know, the unstoppable monster. Smog really is missing a scale. You know, like you may or may not realize smog is missing a scale, but I know smog is missing a scale. And then I just hit them as hard as I possibly can. Like, I'm like, here is this terrible, terrible, terrible thing, which, you know, it does have an off switch on the back of its left kneecap. But otherwise, roll initiative, horror, terror, you know, and then uh, because I don't mind hitting them with a sledgehammer at that point, because I know there is a solution. Whether or not you know there's a solution is not my problem. <laughs> no. yeah. Because well, then you... it's fun as long as you've set it up as well, isn't it? So take Smaug as an example. You know, you go to Lake Town, everybody's going like there's a really badass dragon in that mountain. And the, mm-hmm. the dwarves are going like, we'll go in the mountain anyway. It's like, yeah, but re- no, really though. There's like a desolation mm-hmm. war, you know. So as long as you yeah. keep flagging it to your players and going like, look, this is gonna be really bad, it's gonna be really bad, it's gonna be really bad. And they're going, Yeah, okay, we're going in anyway. Okay, okay then. Here it is, you know, happy full force. Yeah. Yeah, you know, let's see. Let's see. We're all going to find it. Yeah, we're all about to find out what happens. Even I don't know. Yeah, let's see. Here we go. Uh, roll the dice. Nothing good. Nothing good's about to happen. Yeah, I just ran a one shot yesterday where I threw um, Storm Giant Skeleton at them because they were they're a pretty tough group. First round, first swing, nearly one shot somebody. Dropped them down to about five hit points or so. And then the rest of the fight, I just rolled Garbaggio. Like, they were, I was not fudging. <laughs> I was like, miss, 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 miss. Because I knew in the back of my head, I was like, you know, you guys can only take so many of those, like, you know, 12-foot broadsword swings. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the fates were smiling on them that day. It does add something to the game as well, I think, because I, I know a lot of people use gem screens and I've done for many years, but I gave up on them, I don't know, decades ago, because... It comes to things like that, and they're just like rolling the dice in front of people, and everybody cranes around the table to see what the roll is, and you know, the, yeah. the gasp of horror or the cheers of success or whatever it is. You know, I, I love that moment where you go, "Okay, guys, our bets are off." There's, you know, there's no fudging here. We're just gonna roll it out on the table to see what happens. I think that just adds more drama to the game, right? It gets really involved. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't use a DM screen either, actually. Yeah, me neither. Um, yeah, I mean, on stream you might you see me just you know because reasons, but I mean otherwise it's not <laughs> it's not really my my thing either. Um, yeah, I, for the most part. I don't fudge rolls, and if I do fudge rolls, I'm probably fudging them to your benefit. Probably. <laughs> you know, like, I'm probably letting you live when you should die, or, yeah. you know, letting you succeed when you should have failed, and very, very rarely the other way around. But, you know, I tell my players, though, there's going to be times, because some, some of my friends, God bless them, are of the rules lawyer's mindset, and even though I like the rules, to me, it's like Pirates of the Caribbean, they're really more like guidelines, you know? where I'm trying to tell a story. And so I tell them at the beginning, I'm like, there's times that you're going to hit because it makes a better story if you hit. And there's going to be times that you miss because it will make a better story if you miss. You know, so understand that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, if, if you roll a 20 to drop smog and I need smog to make it a little longer, smog may fly away instead of plummet to his doom. You know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, just yeah. understand that yeah yeah we've got a good friend pete who's got um he has special characters and you can just tell like if you're playing a, a cowboy game and there's a mexican turns up he's got like coins sodden down the side of his trousers and stuff like that then like mm-hmm. i'll shoot him he's not dying you know he's just there's certain characters gonna make in his it. Games, like yeah that's one of the yeah. special ones we just, we just gotta talk to him <laughs> yeah exactly he's got he's got the quest giver spotlight over his head like <laughs> yes. you're like you're like, why is that dude? Why's that dude got a floating yellow exclamation point over his head? That's it's odd. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I ran a game of Pathfinder from level one to level twenty. It took us about four years. We did uh, all twenty levels and all ten mythic tiers, and so it's rocket tag in that game by the end. And in all of these games, even fifth edition, even though fifth edition is far more balanced, you know, action economies on the side of the players, and so. For the most part, you know, unless you've got something that is incredibly, incredibly powerful, like the characters are going to lay it out in a round, maybe two. Like they, they just are. In Pathfinder, near the end game, it was it was so bad that it's like one round, the monster's going to kill one of you, and you're going to kill the monster. Like that's what's that is what is about to happen because uh, everything hits so hard. So I got to the point that in a lot of those encounters, I just knew. I was like, I'm not even going to start counting hit points for three rounds. And then I'm going to start. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so you're doing what you're doing, and I'm I'm describing that you're wounding it, and it's reacting, and it's all story-driven. But I'm all like, no, it's you're, you're going five rounds with this thing because I work way too hard playing in this encounter for you guys to just be like, stab, 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 death, death, death. Yeah. yeah. Roll the credits. It'd be disappointing for the players as well if it died in one shot. I will say this. I did have one, one, one experience I had. I gave um, one of my characters, his, his character concept was he was a dragon slayer. That was what he wanted to do was kill dragons. And I think at level seven or eight, I gave him a uh, slang shot arrow that was specifically designed to kill dragons, but it had a ridiculously low save. Like, I mean, it let's, we'll say it had a 20% chance of success and I gave it to him and I forgot all about it. And then around level 15 or so, they fought a dragon and six months of real time had passed. Maybe a year of real time had passed by now. And I had this whole dramatic sequence of like the, I mean, it, it essentially was, was smog at Lake town, essentially where it's like coming through and these strafing runs of fire and like fly away and strafing runs of fire. And you kind of had to, you got to like attack, 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 run, 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 run. And then attack, 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 you know, I had described the dragon's approach and he's like, I use my slingshot arrow. 
And I was like, oh, yeah, you do have that. Oh, okay, cool. I'm like, and he's like, oh, it probably won't work, but I'm going to give it a shot. Rolls. Natural 20. He's like, yay. He's so happy. I'm like, all right, let me roll. It's con save. One. <laughs> Round one. Attack one. One shots the dragon. Just drops it. Which I, I had a split second to think there. I was like, do I push this for the sake of the encounter or do I let him have his moment? Of course, I chose to let him have his moment. You have to, right? And, yeah. you know, he's, he still talks about it to this day. I'm like, I <laughs> drop slug, round one, attack one, with my freaking janky old slingshot arrow. And I'm like, hey, the dice smiled upon you. You know, what can I say? That's what the game is for, to give people the chance to feel like that. Absolutely. It's not a special moment, isn't it? And talking of special moments, it's been an absolute mm-hmm. pleasure to have you on. I'm just conscious of time. We've completely smashed our hour, and I'm pretty sure we could talk for a few hours quite easily. Um, so we'll have to arrange a few beers at some point or something and uh, carry on the conversation. But it's been great to have you on. Thanks very much for your time, Dave. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Again, follow me on the socials at Walters, and definitely, definitely, definitely pre-order Dungeons & Dragons A Dark and Wish at your <laughs> local comic book shops. Coming in February. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to change your life. It will bring <laughs> tears to your eyes. I'll, I'll put like your top 100 links in the show notes or something. I think I'll cap it. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll link have, a bunch uh, of stuff. <laughs> you know what's funny? It, you say that is my alarm went off to remind me that I have my We're Alive Frontier cast watch along. Every Tuesday, we, we do a live a live viewing on Discord with the fans. And that's, uh, you know, what's what's uh, I'm a man of the people. And again, <laughs> I cannot believe I get to do this, which is why I say yes to everything. But thank you guys. <laughs> For having me thank on. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah. you. You guys have a good one.